Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Luke chapter number 23. Luke chapter 23. It was a uh, joy to be able to uh, meet uh, some of you for the first time here uh, this morning. And uh, it's just a delight that you would uh, worship God once again uh, with us today. And uh, before you, I know everyone kind of after handshaking, they went to the sanitizer machine. That's okay. Uh, it's going around. And we've got uh, so many folks that have been in and out sick. And I promise you that we, we are praying for you. If we know that you're sick, we're praying for you. And then we're praying generally that you won't get sick. Uh, it's just that time of year. And, uh, but I hope, that, uh, I hope that you're glad that you made the effort to be here this morning. I know my heart is already full with the worship as unto the Lord. But I trust as we continue to worship, and uh, preaching and teaching is every bit as much important as the singing. It's all worship as unto God. You, you worship as you listen to His Word. And then I try to worship Him by, by delivering it in a way that would be as He would do so. Well, we're going to start a new series today, and I'm excited about it. The series is entitled Final Destination. Final Destination. And uh, the series is entitled this because you and I, we will have at some point a final destination, and that final destination will be either heaven or hell. And uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to uh, we're going to study the study the the idea of uh, of heaven or hell. Not a very popular topic would be, of course, hell, and uh, heaven would be one. Oh, I love hearing messages and teaching about heaven, and so uh, you'll be able to you'll be able to enjoy these first couple then, okay? As we as we start this series, and uh, this morning we're gonna we're gonna look at the idea of confidence in heaven. You and I, we can have confidence in heaven. And we're going to begin reading in uh, Luke chapter number 23. We're going to, our springboard text will just be verse 43. We'll look at much of this chapter. And it says, And Jesus said unto him, that being the thief, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He was telling that thief, that one of the thieves on the cross, that you, you can have confidence. Today, when you pass, you shall be with me in paradise. You and I, we we live in a excuse me, we, we live in a 4K type of world. And there's all different kinds of buzzwords that go with that 4K, words like absolute clarity or crystal clear, or you've got, you know, words like, you know, extreme high definition, whatever that means. You know, I don't know what that means. But the reality is, is that I've kind of, I've got to be honest with you, I've kind of become a little bit of a snob when it comes to, you know, the clarity thing. And uh, we were, uh, I think it was the week of New Year's, I can't quite remember, but we popped in one of those things that are called a DVD. How many of you know what one of those are, you know? Yeah, we, we like joke, you know, VHS, what's that? Well, you know, DVDs, to be honest with you, it's kind of, kind of almost becoming a, a thing of the past. And so we, it wasn't Blu-ray, it wasn't anything like that. It, you know, I got a Blu-ray player, but it didn't upscale it at all. You know, and it was, just, it was just blurry, you know. We own it, and I'm just like, man. So you know what I did? I went on iTunes, and I rebought it on iTunes in high definition. I mean, how spoiled do you have to be to now I own the movie twice? So if you want the DVD, see me after church, and, and I can get it to you. But wouldn't it be nice to understand your final destination 
with ultimate clarity, with crystal clear conscience when it comes to what happens when I take my last breath. Those are the words. Those are the types of words that Jesus Christ uses to this thief on the cross. And so let's, let's kind of let's get the context. We'll begin reading verse 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. If you were to kind of read this in context, chapter 2, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. He tells, he tells Peter, he said, is Satan that desire to have you that he may sift you as wheat? He's going he's gonna to get you to fall. But Jesus says, hey, but I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. And Jesus comes and he's, he's, he's arrested. And now he's been illegally tried. Come chapter 23, at this portion, he's now already on the cross. He's there with a, he's there with a malefactor. If thou be Christ save thyself. Verse 40. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man had done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And then verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Jesus did not say to this thief, well, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how you do. We'll see how the rest of your life goes. We'll see if there's any room and, you know, maybe we can just kind of slide you in. No, this is, this is a promise. And it's given to the thief. But is this promise for us too? That you and I can know that heaven is our home. It is hard to imagine a more important question than that. You may not, sooner or later, your last day on this earth will come. You and I might not know, like the thief, when he woke up in the morning in that cell, he knew that day, most likely before sundown, that he was going to take his last breath. And so he could say, you know, this is it. This is the day that I'm going to die. And for someone here, that may be this week. That may be this month, and God forbid that, or that may be this year, or for many of us in here, that's still a long ways away where we will take our last breath. But nothing is more certain than death and that it will come apart from Jesus Christ coming, uh, His second coming, and that's a whole different message. But the vast majority of us have in here, if Christ doesn't return, all of us, we will see death. One day you will wake up and whether you realize it or not, it will be your last day here on earth. And then you will enter into your final destination. And I want to ask you, what will happen to you then? You know of people that have died. Some of you even within the last two weeks have gone to a funeral. Jesus here, is, he's, he speaks to us about heaven. He came into the world so that people could go there. Please remember this. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, he tells us in John 3. He, he, didn't, he didn't come to keep us out of heaven. Jesus Christ came to open up the doors of heaven so that you and I might be able to go. This is an important matter. 
Can I say this matters more than your work? This matters more than your business? This matters more than your money? Jesus earlier said in Luke 12, and he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. possesseth. Then later on in that chapter, our Lord begins to tell the story about a man who was, who was kind of wrapped up in his work. Now, I'll be honest with you, it's easy to get wrapped up in work, isn't it? I love my job. It's easy to get wrapped up in the office and studying. And sometimes I've got to tell myself, man, go out there. Just, you know, get some, you know, get some fresh air. Go, go, go meet somebody. And so I know what it's like to get wrapped up in work. Business was booming for this man. He was beginning to plan for some needed expansion. Listen, there's nothing wrong with expanding your business. But this man said something very, very interesting. In verse number 18, as Jesus continues to tell the story, and he said, this will I do, this is the man, I will pull down my barns and will build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast made much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This man, he was planning for his future. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with planning for your future. There's nothing wrong with, you know, just giving yourself, you know, to your jobs for, you know, for the glory of God. But Mike said this a couple weeks ago. Listen, there's nothing wrong with these types of things. There's nothing wrong with, with, with goals and with money and all that. They just make poor gods. They just make poor gods. And so keep them in their proper place. But, but, but this particular man, the story that, that Jesus is telling, he said, you know what, I'm going to tear it all down and I'm going to build it again. But the problem was is that God said this man was a fool because he was preparing for his future. He had missed the biggest part and that was his eternity. Verse 20, but God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast? provided. He did not rebuke the man for planning. He did not rebuke the man for, uh, for, future, you know, for future expansion. Nothing wrong with those types of things. There's nothing wrong with your 401k. There's nothing wrong with your savings and, and homes. There's nothing wrong with any of that. He's just saying, what about beyond that? So oftentimes people, they live their lives for a 10, 20, 30, maybe longer if you're lucky how long you live, of this retirement concept. And we neglect the last decision of your final destination. Sometimes we get so consumed with our everyday life and the joys of our life and this is what I want to do in my life and here's where I want to go and here's where, here, here's where I want to travel and here's what I want to see. Oh, by the way, I have those as well. But my challenge to us this morning and my challenge to you this morning is, is have you made plans for the final destination? Have you looked beyond those types of things? That's the thing that really matters. It's, let, me, let me just make this statement. Nick, up on the screen there. To plan and prepare for, for, the, for, a few, for the few years you have in this world is good and wise. But to neglect the eternity that lies beyond this world would be the greatest folly. One day, you and I, we're going to leave this world. And we're going to leave all that we have. We didn't bring anything into this world, and we're not going to bring anything out. Ultimate question of life and death are about you and God. 
not about you and your stuff, about you and God and your future. And so the question before us today is of greatest importance and it's of greatest urgency. And here is the question. How can I be sure of heaven? How can I be sure of heaven? The story of the thief on the cross gives us the clearest and the simplest answer to that Bible question. So what I want us to do, I don't want you to worry about time this morning. Don't worry, you all will get to eat lunch, okay? All right? So I, I want you just to allow me to take you through this story. Let's just, let's walk through this story and let's answer that question in the simplest, most, it's understandable by all that how can we be sure of heaven? Let's pick it up in verse number 32 of our text. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death, okay? So Jesus was being led, and there's two, there's two thieves, all right? And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, they were crucified, they, they, they're, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. You and I, we've, heard this, we've seen the pictures of Jesus on the cross, and then you've got the other two crosses on the side. Here's where you get it from. It's from the Bible. All right, Jesus was in the middle, and you had the two malefactors or thieves. Now, we're told that one of these thieves, in verse 42, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So I want us to focus on what a person needs to do to get to heaven. Don't get scared by that word. Okay, what does a person need to do to get to heaven? The story of the thief on the cross blows away the myth that people get to heaven by living a good enough life. Clearly, the thief had, had, none, had, had no opportunity for that. Obviously, he hadn't done a good job of living a good life. Hence, he was a criminal. The thief is described in another one of the, uh, of the Gospels as, uh, by Mark as a robber. And so the, the scale of this crime was such to the degree that he was sentenced to death. Now, we do not know exactly what was also entailed with this robbery. There could have, been, could have been murder with it. I mean, who knows? He was receiving capital punishment. He was receiving death. And so whatever the circumstances, we don't know. We're not told. We just know that he's a thief and he's a robber, and now he's being crucified with Jesus Christ. We know that this man, it's pretty safe to say that he hadn't lived a good life. Would you probably agree with that most likely? Yeah. And clearly he was not in a position to start living a good life either. His hands were nailed to a wooden beam, okay? So he couldn't go out and start serving others. His feet were nailed to a cross, so he couldn't run out and do any good works. It was too late for this man to turn over a new leaf. He was out of time. He's getting ready to die in a matter of a couple minutes. Yet Jesus says to this man, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Hey, you're going to be in heaven. You're going you're to you're get to come with me to paradise. Well, if this man can get to heaven, it must be open for all of us. The question is, is what did he do? And what can I do that will lead Jesus to say these beautiful words to us that, that, that Ryan, here, here's heaven. Here's a promise of heaven. 
Well, what is it that this man did, and what is it that I also can follow in his footsteps and do? Well, I want to put this in the simplest language possible. There's only one answer, and I want to give it to you in three words. Trust, ask, and turn. Turn is the order. Turn, ask, trust. So let's start with the concept of turn. Turn. We know that the thief was on the cross for at least six hours, longer than that, but we know it was at least for six hours. And during that time, there was a remarkable change in this man's attitude and in this man's mind towards Jesus. And the reason why we know that is because earlier on in Matthew and in Mark, we we get a little insight. Matthew 27, the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. In other words, they were saying the same thing. Mark 15, verse 32 says, Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that he may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. They both blasphemed him. They both said things like, we don't know exactly what they said, but they said things like, hey, if you can, you know, save, you know, if, if you can save others, save, save yourself, save us. If you really are you know, who you say you are, hey, why don't, you, why don't you get off the cross? So here are two criminals, one on each side of Jesus, and both of them are hurling abuse at him. But then something happened. One continued. But then a change came over the other one. The Bible calls this repentance, a turning, a changing of the heart. Let me give you a definition by J.I. Packer from his book, Keep in Step with the Spirit. He says this, repentance is turning with as much as ye know of yourself. From as much as ye know of your sin to as much as ye know of God. Let me say that again. Repentance is a turning with as much as ye know of yourself. For as much as ye know of your sin, to as much as ye know of God. In other words, those of you that have been in church long enough, those of you that have, have been a Christian long enough, you realize that the longer you are a Christian, the more you actually realize just how messed up you were. But at the very beginning, you don't fully understand all that. Those of you that have been in the 10 o'clock hour, we've been learning one of the benefits of the Bible is we get self-awareness. We begin to learn, ooh, ooh, that grieved, ooh, that grieved God, that grieved God, ooh. But we didn't know that at the beginning. We just had a holy, we just had, the, we just had a conscience that would say, no, that was wrong. And so we didn't, we didn't understand everything. We certainly, at the beginning, we didn't understand every single detail of our sin. We just understood, wow, you know what? Hey, I'm a sinner. And there's a, there's a penalty of that sin, and there's the wages of sin is death. And I also learned, and we're, we're, we're going to continue through this, through this message, I learned that, that, that God loves me, and that God sent Jesus Christ to, to die on the cross for me. And so I don't know everything about God. I don't know all of his, you know, all of his attributes. I don't know all of the, what justification, propitiation, what re- reconciliation. I don't know what all those big theological terms mean. But I know enough about God that he loves me. 
Then he sent Jesus to die on the cross and and to save me. And so what J.I. Packer is saying here, in the simplest of forms, you and I, we understand who we are. We understand that we are sinners, and we're turning from that sin, and we are turning to God in Jesus on the cross. Simple. You want to know why I love this definition? Oh, there's far more theological definitions for it. But the reason why I love this definition is because it reminds us that for the Christian, for the Christian, repentance ought to get deeper and deeper and deeper as you learn more and more and more about God and more about His holiness. And you say, God, you know, Lord, help me to, help me to, I didn't, I didn't know this grieved you. God, let me, let me turn from that and turn to you. It is an ongoing, deeper growing of repentance. I love that definition. It's all about what you know, guys. We're all sinners, and we'll get to that in a moment. And Jesus died for those sinners. The more you learn about who God is and who you are and what sin is, the deeper repentance comes. But every process has a beginning. That's where I want to start. I want to start with the beginning. You, you doing okay this morning? Told you, don't, don't, don't look at the clock here, okay? All right? Where does it begin? Here's where it begins. It begins, you begin to fear God. You begin to fear God. Now, don't begin thinking like, you know, you're fearing God like he's you know, some big old God with a baseball bat. That's not exactly what we're talking about here. Okay? It's not that kind of like, you know, where you, where, where, where you fear someone coming into your home at night, you know, and you tell your wife to go check that noise. That's at least what happens in my house. You know, there's a noise. I'm like, hey, Sarah, can you go check that, please? I know most of you men, you get up and you do it. Not me. I send her. No, I'm just kidding. Eh, there's partial truth to that, right, babe? Verse 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? He had been shouting out hateful abuse towards Jesus, but then he sees the eternity is right on the horizon, and very soon he's going to be face to face with God. There is this great God in heaven who sees and he knows all things. Oh, we can come and fake it. Absolutely. You could have me so faked. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, I could just, you know, but God, we don't fake anybody. He sees it all, and he's come to that realization. There's this great God, and he knows all things, and before God, all our, our hearts are open. From God, no secrets are hidden, and one day, we're all going to be given an account to him. We can reasonably assume that this thief was brought up Jewish because this did not, the gospel didn't spread to the, to, the, to, to the Gentiles and to the rest of the known world until basically Pentecost when that church was empowered. And so you and I can most likely probably bring a conclusion that this man was brought up Jewish. He probably knew the things about God. He had, been, he, he, had, he had given any weight to them. If he had, he would never become a thief. But he pushed that knowledge of God to the back of his mind, which is easy for all of us to do. Absolutely me happens all the time live practically as an atheist as if god doesn't exist i'm going to say what i want i'm going to do what i want wait a minute god does care so even i do that so it's easy to see how this can happen but further he got from god the less his conscience bothered him but now on the brink of eternity the the fear of the lord comes back to him there is a great god and soon i'm going to stand before him and so let me say this turning turning begins when you start to give weight 
to God in your life. Turning begins when you start to give weight to God in your life. Oh, it's not just a God. No, no, no. You start giving Him weight in your life. Wow, I'm going I'm to I'm gonna have to answer to this God. But then also, with this turning, you recognize Christ is king. I'm going to try to hasten here. I'm going to lose you. Stick with me, okay? You recognize Christ as king. So here's the danger. For those of you that know Christ in this room, you think, hey, I don't need this message. There's an amazing point for you at the end. Stick with me. You recognize Christ as king. Verse 36, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. So the theme of Jesus being the king, it runs throughout this story. It runs even throughout Scripture. But we see in verse 42, this thief says, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Lord, I'm, 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 I'm submitting to you. Christ. You are, you are the Lord. You have, a, you have a kingdom. How can I be sure of heaven? Well, you begin to, you begin to turn. You, you fear God and you submit yourself to the Christ, the, to Christ the King. Let His way be a way for you. Let His truth be truth for you. And His life be life for you. It, it, starts, with a, it starts with a turning. It starts with, with, with an acknowledgement that in my sin, I have sinned against the Holy God. And there's a requirement for that. And so you begin this turning. You begin to understand that you know, God, you're holy and, and you're turning from that. And then it comes to the next word. Ask. It's going to be simple. Turn. Ask. Verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus, you are the king, but you're getting ready to die. So clearly this kingdom is not going to be on this world. But beyond death, I believe that, that you are coming into a kingdom. And when you do, Jesus, will you will you remember me? He asked him. He's willing to ask him. Let me say this. Asking means that you do not pretend to be righteous. It means that you do not pretend to be righteous. Verse 41, and we indeed, this is the thief, justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. The thief does not pretend that he's really a good person. The thief doesn't say, you know, hey God, yeah, yeah, I've done, I've done some bad things. <laughs> Haven't we all? But God, I've also I've done some really good things too. He doesn't do that. He doesn't pretend. He doesn't come before God and say, Look at all that I can offer you. Look at all of my goodness. No, he says to the other thief, and he says, He says, Buddy, we deserve to be here. This man doesn't. He's not done anything wrong. But me and, and you, we, we deserve to be there. See this turning, this changing of his mind? At one point, he was railing accusations at Jesus too. But there's this turning, and now he's asking God, would you, Jesus, would you, would you remember me? 
Would you, our terminology today, would you, would you save me? Ask him to be your savior? He faces the fact that he's a sinner. And hear me, we are all like him. We've all failed to do what God has called us to do and we've all done what he has told us not to do. The Bible makes it clear that every single person on the face of the planet is in the same position. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Let's all read that together. Here we go. Ready, begin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's hard to say, isn't it? Let's go to the next one, Romans 3.23. Let's all say this one together too. Ready, begin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let's try that one more time. Ready? Begin. For all except Ryan have sinned. Oh, no, I didn't say that. All of us have sinned. And we all have come short of the glory of God. You know what asking means? Asking means that you, hey, we don't pretend. We don't pretend to be righteous. Now we, we turn and we acknowledge and we ask Jesus with the reality of who we are. Let me also say this. Asking means that you do not make a deal. Asking means that you do not try to make a deal. We prefer to do deals. We live in a world of deals. We know, God, hey, 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 you know, if, if, if you'll, I'll do this if you'll just do this. We do it all the time, right? That's kind of our, that's kind of our world. I wonder, I, I, I'm sure there's a few of you in here. Are there any anybody in here where there's a portion of your job where you kind of have to negotiate? Any of you? You know, you, say, you're, you raise your hand, a couple of you in here. There's a portion of you, it's negotiating. Now, those of you that are negotiators, or those of us, certainly we understand what negotiation is. It's not a very good thing to come to the table with nothing, is it? Yet that's exactly what the thief does. The thief comes with nothing. He comes empty-handed. Let's be real. What in the world can the thief offer? All he can do is turn and ask like a beggar. That's all he can do. See, the problem with coming to God with a deal is then you go through life feeling that God owes you. And you're always going to struggle. There's always going to be this God. How come, how come you didn't keep up your end of the bargain? Let me tell you this. You have no deal. There's no deal with God. Because the only covenant that God signs is the one he writes himself. And here's what it says. Paid in full. And his name is Jesus. There's no deals. You and I, we cannot bring anything to the table. And so, listen, if you're sitting there this morning, and, 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 and I'm, I know most of you, but I don't know all of your hearts. And if you're sitting there, and if any way these types of things offend you, listen, this is the grace of God, because this is where all of us are. This is actually a good place to be, to just realize, hey, God, I'm just, I'm coming as a beggar. I'm coming with complete, empty hands. Asking means that you come to Jesus as a snotty-nosed, empty-handed beggar. Then thirdly, you're listening well, thirdly, trust. You turn, you ask, and you trust. In his asking, the thief puts himself in his future into the hands of Jesus. I want you to think about a heart surgery. I want you to think about a doctor, you know, that's going to put you to sleep and is going to be able to cut open your body and perform heart surgery. Okay? 
You've got some cardiologist who's going to do something for you that you cannot do for yourself, right? And what do you do? You realize, I can't save my own life. I can't do my own heart surgery. Here you go, doc, sign in the papers. I trust you. Do what you need to do. Save my life. You know what the thief does? He trusts himself into the hands of Jesus. And Jesus gives him this promise, the verse we looked at at the beginning. Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That is the promise of the Savior to the person who trusts him. The thief was in exactly the same position as you and I are today. If you turn to Jesus and you ask him to save you, what do you have? His word. What do you have? His promise. And, and John tells us in John 6, and all that the Father Jesus is speaking, giveth me, shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You receive, you, you come to him, and he receives you. To everyone who turns to Christ and to ask him, Jesus says, You're going to be with me in paradise. Your last day, uh, it might be this week, God forbid. I hope, I hope it doesn't happen. Next week, next month, next year, 30 years from now, I'd like for 50 plus. That'd be great. But someday it's going to come to an end. And the promise that comes to the man or the woman or teenager that's in here that says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come to your kingdom? I'm turning from what I know of my sin and I am turning to you. I'm turning to Jesus Jesus, would you save me? And if you do, you hear those words. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And so many, so on and so forth. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, please make today that day. But Christian, and I would assume that's a lot of people in here, Christian, would you please give me another 10 minutes or so? Would you please ask God right now to help you see in this text what you need to see? Because I want, you, I want to ask you a question. Do you remember what happened next for the thief? If you've been in church long enough, Luke records immediately after the thief trusting Christ as a Savior, verse 44, and it was about the sixth hour and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Think about what that meant. Try to, as I tell you most weeks, put yourself into the text. You're on a cross. You've been crucified as well. You've got nails through your hands. You've got nails through your feet. You following me? You good? You still with me? I know you're hungry. I'm hungry too. He's there. He was spouting off at Jesus. Then he begins to realize based on things that Jesus had done, things that Jesus had said. He lifts up his head and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What? Who forgives people that are guilty? He's going to have a change in his heart. Wow, I deserve to be here. I deserve to be on this cross. This man, he's, he, he's never done anything wrong. Hey, let's stop it. The turning, the repentance, the asking, will you remember me? And then... The trusting, it goes black for three hours. What? 
Here's what I want you to understand. Trusting in darkness. Trusting in darkness. Sometimes it's dark. The thief had to trust the promise of Jesus when he was surrounded by great darkness. Matthew and Mark, they record something that's amazing that took place at the end of this darkness. In verse 46 of Matthew 27, at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried. Remember, it started at the sixth hour. Now it's towards the end of the ninth hour. It's Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What? What does that mean? Well, you and I, we've got the whole picture. You and I know that what God was doing is he was placing all of your sin, let's not exclude me, all of my sin too, on Jesus. And God is holy. And the Father, for the first time, turned his back on his Son. And Jesus is up in heaven crying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But think of the thief. It's pitch black. Now your eyes have adjusted a little bit. For three hours, it's dark. And now you hear the one you just put your trust in saying, my God, my God, why is thou forsaken? And we're thinking, uh-oh. And if he's been forsaken, I'm going to be forsaken. He didn't know the whole picture. Can I just say this really quick? It goes into last week's message. The thief didn't have to have this perfect faith. He said, have faith in Jesus. Because Jesus' faith is strong enough. Let me just make this statement real quick here. I'm going to try to hasten. There will be times when you find yourself hanging on to his promise in great darkness. Christian, church, 2018, there's going to be times when you are in absolute darkness clinging to a worthy promise that is found in Jesus. People who trust Jesus often live with great unanswered questions. God, why won't you take this from me? God, why won't you remove this situation? God, why won't you restore this? And those questions go unanswered. They go unanswered. Do not be surprised when this happens. Because let me say, secondly here, you've got to be willing to trust in pain. Trusting in pain. I want you to think about the agony of the thief and what he experienced after he trusted Jesus. Guess what? Every one of those wounds, they widened. No doubt, the fever that probably began to rack his entire body got worse and worse and worse as he inched every single moment closer to death. The thief experienced more pain after he trusted Jesus than he did before. Let this sink in. Trusting Jesus is never a passport to a pain-free life. Hey, Christian, (laughs) it's not a pain-free life. We get so messed up when we make deals with God. Hey, God, hey, hey, I'll trust you. Hey, God, I'll come to church. Hey, God, I'll do this if you will. And God doesn't make deals. God just says, paid in full. I took care of the whole thing. There's no deals. In this world, you and I, we're going to We're going to suffer pain. We're going to suffer darkness. And let me say this, trusting in death. Trusting in death. We are not told in the Bible about the moment when this thief died. All of the attention stays on Christ as it should. 
Okay? So we don't know. But here's what we do know. That this man had to, he, he trusted in Jesus, and ultimately, the man died. And all he had was the promise from Jesus. Joseph Tan, he's a pastor and he's a leader in Romania. He, he tells of a visit that he made to a dying fellow pastor. He was a man that liked to get right to the point. And he said to this man, hey, I've come to tell you how to die. And here's where it starts. Joseph said this, forget about your Christian life. That's what he started with. Forget, Nick, if you can bring that up. Forget about your Christian life. It says this, if you lie there in your bed thinking about your Christian life and what you have done for Jesus, it will not be long before you begin to see what you have not done for Jesus and what you might have done for Jesus and what you should have done for Jesus and you will soon find yourself surrounded by doubt and fear. Joseph goes on to say, here is how to die. Forget about what you have done for Jesus and fix your eyes wholly on what Jesus has done for you. By the way, church, that's a good way to live as well. It's a great way to die, but it's a great way to live too. Not your eyes fixed on you and all that you're doing for him. Instead, put your eyes on Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done. Turn. Ask. Then trust. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Turn. Ask. Or trust. Have you taken that journey in your life? Have you had that moment where you began to turn from your sin? You realized, I know none righteous, no, not one. Everyone's a sinner. And you've turned to Christ and you've asked Him to be your Savior. Do you have that testimony? If you don't, I'm going to invite you in a moment for that to be your testimony. And if you do, Christian, if you do, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, can I tell you, you're going to have to trust in severe darkness at times and in severe pain. And ultimately, you're going to have to carry it all the way to death. But Jesus' promises are true. He says, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Ryan, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Please, no one looking around. No one looking. I'd like to just kind of keep the movement very, very, very minimal. No one looking, please. I want to ask you a question. 